You have reached the voicemail box of Speed Dial with Ira Madison III and Doreen St. Felix. This week, we're talking about the first presidential debate, the comeback of Will and Grace, and Drake's short film, Please Forgive Me. Leave a message. Doreen, girl, you got to call me back. Trump was on one in the debate last night, and everybody is trying to say that he won. You got to call me back. President Trump, Ira, are you ready for it? Six weeks from now. I rebuke it. (laughs) I rebuke it. In the name of the Lord. He was a mess, wasn't he? Well, he didn't start off a mess, though. He was very calm. It was like, ah, man, they like Xanaxed this guy out. But I don't think that they did well (laughs) with the timing because it started wearing off like about 20 minutes into the the debate. And then he was the, you know, the regular erratic Trump that we have come to know and abhor. I thought that, you know, I will benefit of the doubt or devil's advocate or I don't know, whatever phrase like white people use when they like (laughs) want to talk about racism. I will say that he had some points, you know, they weren't like good points, but I could see why some people would be like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, like he finished a sentence or two. Yeah, I'm tired of like hearing about the email stuff But, you know, he had, like, a good zinger with that. (laughs) He had a couple of um, bars, if you will. I think what really actually scared me last night, I tried to watch the debate as objectively as possible. And I'm already not the biggest Hillary Clinton stan, so that's not that hard for me to do. But I think that um, next to Hillary Clinton's extreme even keelness um the way she would like always smirk the fact that trump was passionate like i could see how a viewer would be moved by that it's like oh trump cares but hillary clinton you know she's that like west uh not west coast in fact east coast highly educated like liberal smarmy kind of person and i think that dichotomy actually worried me like i could absolutely understand how an undecided viewer would say oh you know trump he's so passionate he can't even control himself he really loves this country and so i wish that she got a little more hyphy you know mm-hmm. part of it is like whenever she gets lit it becomes yeah. like oh my god this woman is being crazy second of all Can we talk about, like, undecided voters for a second? (laughs) I think you know this weekend I went to Nevada to register voters and canvas so that we could, you know, at least get people, you know, everybody needs to be voting. Yes. It's just nonsense not to be exercising your voting rights. However, there were so many people who were just like, "Mm, you know, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) And I'm like, bitch. It's been a year. How do you not know? It's been like two years. Like, how do you not know who you're voting for at this point? It's nonsense. Wow. So what did you say when, you know, you were people would hit you with that? 
Well, you know, you explain both policies and things. You know, you can't really be, like, partisan and be like, vote for this person. Okay. You know, because that's, like, illegal or whatever. It was just, like, informing people and letting people know, like, if you care about this, you should vote for this person. If you care about this, you should vote for that person. You know? And it was just, like, a base reminder of the fact that, like, you really do need to have one-on-one conversations with these voters because... Unless someone sits there and tells you, some of these people just have no idea. Mm -hmm. And they have no incentive to learn. That's right. They have no incentive to, like, go out and look for the facts. I mean, these are things that just seem like common knowledge to me. But for some people, it's like, oh, I've never even, like, Googled it. Enjoy whatever, like watching Wendy Williams every day. (laughs) But I mean, that shit is so real. Like, obviously, the internet has taken over the world, but a lot of people don't spend all their time on the internet. And it's always difficult for me to adjust what I know. Like, I know every single time that Donald Trump tweets because my job is to be on the internet. And so I'm inundated with every single detail around this election. But if you're somebody who, like, isn't really on the internet, you're going to miss like 60% of the crazy shit that Donald Trump says. And you're only going to really hear the like regular Republican crazy shit that he says. It's hard because it's like you want people to get their information from like the news. It's weird because when people have been like blaming the media for a lot of the Trump nonsense, the media they mean is like, the 24-hour, like, cable news media. Mm -hmm. Because it's, like, if people were actually reading, like, other outlets, they could get some real information, you know? But, like, so many people just get their information from, like, Facebook, whatever their aunt shares. And it's like, they don't even read the articles. They read the headline. All reading your Facebook feed does is confirm your bias. Because you're friends with people who think like you do. You're friends with people who agree with you. And everybody, I mean, that's what everybody loves, especially in an election year. Right. And your racist auntie has racist auntie friends, racist grocers, racist paper boys, (laughs) racist um, neighbors, Racist like lawn ornaments, too. You know? So. (laughs) Those white supremacist gnomes. (laughs) 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 you think it's casper the ghost but it's actually ku klux klan (laughs) ornaments but um anyway the debate was also just like a little disheartening very saddening because at the end it just kept reinforcing the fact that like she is running against this lunatic And there were points where he was, like, crazy. Like, there were points where he was arguing with Lester Holt. I know. But Holt was like, you did support the war in Iraq. He's like, I did not support. Call Sean Hannity. (laughs) Why the fuck do I need to call Sean Hannity? (laughs) Nobody ever needs to call Sean Hannity. And there were also the whole cybersecurity section... He wasn't even, like, he was just saying the word cyber like that was an entity into its own. That's not how you use that word. (laughs) That's a CSI show, for one. (laughs) 
He makes Lil Bow Wow look more articulate than whatever he was doing last night on that stage. God. <laughs> I just... I think what is also upsetting, already having to deal with the immediate emergency that is this election, just the fact that we haven't been given the opportunity to ask Clinton the questions that should be asked of her. Because this is the comparison that we have. A person who's just a sentient ball of hair dye. Part of that, too, I think is because of the Democratic Party, unfortunately, because Clinton was really only debating against Sanders. That's true. And Sanders, for his part, was also kind of on one because his ass didn't really have a plan either. And he was like a pseudo Trump in the sense that he just like kept repeating buzzwords over and over again. And it was like, you are not actually coming to debate Clinton today. Whereas Trump, even though he was debating, you know, the cast of Laugh-In when he was on that stage, at least (laughs) they all had differing things that they wanted to say about the economy and about America. And they were stupid things, but they were like GOP points at least. So he actually, like, people actually had to be like, I prefer Trump to heckle and Jekyll and Flounder and Sebastian. <laughs> like, there was all those a competition. Yeah, there was a right. competition. Whereas Hillary had Bernie with his supporters going free college and whatever um lock her up i don't know and then martin o'malley was just here for the photo shoot so there was actually no one (laughs) really debating clinton on the stage because you know like nobody wanted to go up against clinton because it seemed like a foregone conclusion that she was going to be Mm -hmm. the democratic nominee uh, which is why I feel like we missed out on real debate questions with her in the early go round. And now we're really not going to get those debate questions because the entire debate is like fending off Trump's insanity. Mm-hmm. It really is such an uninformed election cycle. I think that Hillary Clinton has really grown. I'm impressed by how much more comfortable she seems at the dais. She also had some quips last night that you could tell were on the fly, and they pretty much landed. The best thing that Clinton can do at this point is not try to be Barack Obama. Nobody's ever going to be Barack Obama. He's an anomaly. He is not the standard politician. Barack Obama isn't even going to be Barack Obama because, you know... Because he became president. It undoes everything right. about him. <laughs> so we we lost that boy. Um, we still have Barack. Maybe I'm hoping that that lit Barack Obama, the one that keeps trying to come out in, you know, his little <laughs> interviews and things that he's going to emerge when he walks out that White House. I can't wait. Actually, he needs to I'm more leave excited. the White House in a dashiki. <laughs> uh, Michelle has to have an afro. Fist raise. I need the whole tableau. 
I have been waiting eight years for this. I had to sit through Obama being the most murderous president in the all history. He needs to give me this. I think we deserve it. Can he leave the office and then still tell us what to do? <laughs> can he, maybe that's just him being our dad or something? Like, can he adopt can, us? Can he be like? Can he be like the other parent to Trump's president? You know, Trump is the one that always gets on your nerves and doesn't let you do anything that you want. And you go to Barack and you're like, can I do this? And Barack's like, did you ask Trump? And you're like, nah. (laughs) And he says, okay, go do it. I don't want any, there's no scenario in which Donald Trump gets to be near Barack Obama. I mean, I was even concerned for Hillary last night when he touched her. When they shook hands, I was like, get her some pure I know exactly what moment you're talking about. of Hillary Clinton, there was a campaign ad this week for her that was disguised as a Will and Grace reunion. When I saw Deborah Messing tweet that photo, I started hyperventilating. She is my... I had a moment. Redheaded queen, my Caucasian angel. She's all those things for me. I did not realize that you loved Will and Grace as much as I did. I think it's so cool how we are always discovering more things about us and the the things that we disagree on (laughs) and what we love. But yeah, Will and Grace was, I remember coming home from school and it was usually on around 4 p.m. And so essentially it was my babysitter. (laughs) So I've seen every episode (laughs) at least two or three times. (laughs) Willa Grace was basically white excellence. I think we created this term with Stranger Things. (laughs) But Willa Grace is that too. Yeah, Willa Grace was fucking hilarious. All four of them constantly just had like the best chemistry on TV and were so funny. And watching the reunion video that they shot... Uh, which was actually to get people to go out and vote for Hillary. It was like they didn't even miss a beat. You know, it felt like it was an episode. I know. And it begins in media res, basically. So it's Will and Grace and they're in their apartment. They look exactly the same age. It's like they didn't age since the show had been canceled in the or, you know, not canceled since the show ended in the early 2000s. And the jokes were so contemporary. They knew exactly what was going on. All the like Fifty Shades of Gay jokes. <laughs> I It made me miss, I think, that era of sitcom. I don't think that there's a sitcom Same. out right now. Because everything is just prestige drama. But a really well conceptualized, reliable sitcom, that's my favorite kind of TV, always. Yeah, because a lot of the sitcoms that we have now are sort of a bit more serious. Yeah. They're, you know, 
you're the worst or it's Atlanta or it's girls. A lot of these are basically half hour dramas. We don't really have anything where it's just like joke, joke, joke. And especially in the setup of a, you know, multi-camera sitcom the way that Will and Grace was. There were so many comedies that just worked so well like that. And I feel like CBS has a lot of awful ones now, like (laughs) Two Broke Girls and shit. But they are nowhere near the, the chemistry that the actors had. The writing was always on point. The jokes were very funny. And it just feels... It just feels good, you know, having them in the room, bouncing jokes off of one another. I really liked it when everyone was making fun of Deborah Messing because she was going on this rant about how, you know, she would never in her lifetime thought that she could have the first female president and then everyone just sort of deflates her with their jokes piling on her, which is what they did. They invented them and Seinfeld sort of invented that piling on joke humor Mm -hmm. uh, that a lot of sitcoms do now, like Happy Endings did that, Arrested Development. But I really think it was perfected, you know, in those 90s must-see sitcoms on NBC. Another thing that I have always loved about Will and Grace is how subtly political the show was. So obviously, you know, two of the main characters are gay, um, but they're all white and they're all rich. They're all wealthy. It's the standard New York City centered sitcom in that sense. But what reminded me of that trope that they would always do was um, when Grace is talking to Karen and Karen is obviously she's like best friends with Donald Trump and that's a joke that she just came from vacation with Donald and Melania and Grace is like how could you support this person who is threatening the livelihood of the person that is closest to you and that's Karen's maid Rosario and Grace goes on this rant about like how Donald Trump talks about Mexican people and how that's going to endanger Rosario And Will is like, she's from El Salvador. And I thought that was so (laughs) on point because that's how so many liberals sound when they're trying to convert you to liberalism, when they're trying to tell you that Donald Trump is evil. It's like, he is absolutely evil, but you're not that great either. (laughs) There's no, like, these are two evils in in this situation. And so... I loved that they made Grace the fall guy during this. It's like a 10-minute clip. You should watch it if you haven't seen it because I thought that she really encapsulated what annoys me about white feminists when they're telling you, you know, to vote for Trump. Uh, to, they're not telling you to vote for Trump when they're telling you to vote for Clinton. You know, they don't want to address the hypocrisy in a lot of the slogans and, and whatnot. I mean, exactly. That's always why Karen and Grace worked as foils, because Karen was always the sort of wrong one, but a lot of her jokes would always deflate the fact that Grace was always feeling herself when she was trying to tell Karen the right thing to do. Yeah, Karen, in some ways, was the con- she was the conscience of Will and Grace, maybe even more than Will. 
which is funny to say because Karen is totally a horrible person. <laughs> I mean, her and Jack. Jack yeah, always. Yeah, they're, they're a deal. They're yin and yang. It was just so good to see them. I don't know. These are all white people that we know today, to be honest. Oh, hell you know? yes. We all know a Will. We all know a Grace. We all know a Jack. And we all know a Karen. The Karens are kind of fun because, you know, you can at least drink with Karen. And she'll pay for it. Yes. Yeah, I do have Trump supporting friends. Maybe. I haven't asked. Don't want to know. As long as they're paying for my drinks at the bar, it's all good. Trump 2016. It was some weekend night. I saw some tweets about how Drake was releasing this film. If you can't hear the air quotes in my voice, they are there. Film called Please Forgive Me on Apple Music. And these people had the nerve to call this a lemonade-esque project. Can we deconstruct what that is supposed to mean? First of all, Drake called this shit Please Forgive Me and I don't. Because it was not good. (laughs) But also, the fuck you get off calling this Lemonade? Lemonade was a project that encompassed, one, the entire album. Two, just said so much about blackness and black womanhood and Beyonce personally and Beyonce's marriage. And it had you talking afterwards being like oh is shit really going down between her and jay-z or oh this really uplifted me here whereas drake once again releases a project that gives you zero insight into who he is as a person can you tell everybody what happens during this 20 minute film first of all it opens with him making out with this naked girl in his bed for I believe like five minutes (laughs) it would not end I was like why do I have to keep watching these straight people having sex (laughs) this soft core madness (laughs) and then he's like in Africa I don't even know where the fuck he was he was was in Namibia Okay, I just feel like everything Drake does that involves Africa is like when white people say they're going to Africa, but don't pick a country. (laughs) They're just going to the continent. You never hear people saying they're going to North America. (laughs) Why do you say Africa? But it always just feels like general Africa uh, he can dance to his, you know, controller and one dance beats. But anyway, he and this girl are at this party and this rich, like, African drug lord offers her a million dollars to have sex with him because I guess Drake finally got around to watching Indecent Proposal. <laughs> and then he says, do it. 
and it ends up being a scam so they can rob the guy even though he was going to offer her a million dollars anyway. I was really confused. And then at some point she's like writhing on a rock in the middle of a desert. (sighs) Okay, here's the problem with this situation, Drake. I understand that you are an actor. You have acted quite well in the past. He's a good actor. But in order to act, you need to have a story to tell. And now that Drake is a persona that is attached to who this person really is, it's just not enough to do these like drug crime capers. You know, it's so passe. That's not even what his rap is even really about. His music isn't even about the images that he likes to attach himself to. And so I just, I think it's totally fine if Drake wants to, keep releasing the kind of mid-tempo narcissistic I like his music I like the themes of it actually but I'm not here for these visuals that are not standing up to the visuals that his um, peers are releasing he's not keeping up with Rihanna he's not keeping up with Beyonce he's not keeping up with like Bryson Tiller I don't know (laughs) he's not even keeping up with Megan Trainor let's be realistic here (laughs) <laughs> he, I like his music as well but I'm also like stop trying to pretend that you are this mega artist too you're not doing what Kanye is doing you're not doing what anyone else is really doing with giving you looks and visuals and themes and messages the only message is that Drake's a fuckboy And he wants you to return his text. And I think that he's so much more interesting than that. He is. He just won't tell us who he is. I don't get it. And after, you know, the video he also did with Tyra Banks, nothing is... He's so fascinating because he releases these pretty shallow visual projects that make a splash for maybe 24 hours, maybe 48. And then nobody's talking about them. Nobody's writing about them. But Views is the number one album. Views sold so many units this year. And obviously that has to do with a lot of the deals behind it. But I can't, you know, what's the motivation for Drake to push himself out of his comfort zone if his comfort zone is so lucrative and so successful? He hasn't had a flop yet. He hasn't. His flop, his conceptual flop is so successful. Right. Whereas Kanye's had flops before, mm-hmm. uh, 808s, as good as it was, uh, Beyonce has had flops, you know, 4 is an amazing album, and it didn't really move the numbers that it should have. That's a really good point, Ira, yeah. Rihanna flopped at the bank. Uh- <laughs> 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 Bitch better have her money. She ran out of money because of some <laughs> some shady people who are running her money, which is how we got Bitch Better Have My Money and that amazing video. So, I don't know. Maybe we need to just, like, not buy Drake's next album. To help him grow. He, yeah. he needs adversity. And it doesn't have to be the adversity that we normally attached to rappers i'm not saying drake needs to get shot or go to jail he doesn't need to have that happen but 
something in his life has to go wrong in order for him to have some inspiration that isn't just, oh, this girl, you know? Right. He needs to, I don't know, find out that he's not half black. (laughs) Something. I don't know. Do you remember when we (laughs) talked about Drake being mixed race every week in the beginning of this podcast? (laughs) Y- yes, because you are color struck, Dory. Oh, I was the one who was having the conversation, Ira. You need to go back into the archive, my friend. Yes, you we do. We do actually keep talking about these light skinned people. <laughs> I think we just traded Drake for Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> and I pronounced that last name correctly this time. But sometimes the light skins let us down. Did you see Did you see Jesse Williams' tweet last week? Uh, I don't know her. I don't know what you're talking about. Where I have no Jesse comment. Williams who I plead the fifth. Who we <laughs> Jesse Williams who we love dearly. I love him. And he does so much for social justice issues and he keeps his fine ass on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Had the nerve to tweet they don't want you to see the birth of a nation. <laughs> And that, I was like, you if know, you don't take your ass somewhere else. The way I paused over that tweet, I just held my phone up to the light, was trying to see if it was a parody Jesse Williams account. And then, you know, <laughs> I'm reading the tweet and I see how light his skin is and how blue his eyes are. And it's just very overwhelming. I don't know. But, I, you know... The birth of a nation conspiracy theory, the most radical, with it, rational black men, I've heard it from them. There is something about the way they like to victimize themselves, the narrative that they have of how everybody wants to keep black men down. It, you just can't convince these men that this is not a conspiracy. They're so attached to the story of Nat Turner and they will do anything to see it come through. So just because so many people espouse this belief, I'm going to let Jesse Williams go on it because I can't even begin to unravel. But um, never mind. It's never the mind the fact indus. that the, the always seem to ignore that black women are the most victimized. You know, like I don't see any black men on syrup bottles constantly being opened and abused at people's breakfast tables like Aunt Jemima, you know? You see, all this canvassing is going to your head. You're not an advocate for Aunt Jemima, Ira. (laughs) Uncle Ben is just on a box. Nobody abuses him. Oh, my God. What has Hillary Clinton done to you? (laughs) I think we need to move on to our feedback portion of the week. I might agree with you. (laughs) Let's hear it. Feedback, as you know, is where we offer you the chance to call in, leave us a hotline bling, as Drake would say, and ask us for advice. Was I being corny or is he corny? Continue. You know what? (laughs) Let's play the damn voicemail. Hi, Doreen and Ira. First of all, I love you guys. 
I would just like to say that I'm so glad that both of you recognize that B-Day was a visual album in her first one. Like, that's awesome. Anyway, I am a young artist, a uh, visual artist, but I also really enjoy writing. Um, I love, like, theory and culture and stuff like that. And I just want to know if you guys have any advice for someone who doesn't come from, like, a writing background or, like, didn't major in English or something, like, how I can get my stuff out there. Um, I love you guys. Bye. I love this question so much, and I also love you because you sound like a cutie pie. How does this... How does this sweet girl listen to our podcast? You shouldn't listen to us, honestly. I feel like we're corrupting you. I feel like this question is more suited to you, though, because, like, my path to getting noticed is just being rude to people on the internet. (laughs) Honestly, my path is not absolute. It's not totally different from that, although I wasn't really rude to people. But I did use the internet, which is to say I, I majored in English at my school, there was a program that you could do within the English major, which was called nonfiction. So I am, you know, the standard, I took the standard path to become a writer. However, I didn't, I wasn't really successful at school. I did well, but I wasn't identified as somebody who was going to be a writer. There was this class called um, the public intellectual. (laughs) It was literally called that. I tried to get into this class for four semesters straight. I never got into it. So I didn't think that I was that there was a viable career for me. But about a year after graduating, I started using Twitter. And I was just tweeting takes, tweeting my thoughts, but I didn't know that they were takes because I wasn't in media. And basically what happened was editors started to notice and they started to offer to work with me. And that's how I became a writer. It was very much attached to being visible online and then honing my craft. It's not like I came, you know, like a prepackaged writer who had learned how to do this stuff in school because I wasn't really, um, I just wasn't one of the more promising students in my writing classes. So I think that you should not that. feel you shouldn't feel intimidated by the fact that you're not a writing major or anything. Usually writing majors aren't that great because they're so obsessed with craft and they're so obsessed with uh, the canonical way to write that they're not loose and they don't know a lot about subjects. So I would say you should pursue whatever subject interests you and then the writing will come. Exactly. Because a lot of the times I didn't get into writing things that I wanted to get into in college. I know, hard to believe, right? <laughs> but I'm saying, you know, I didn't even get into Susan Laurie Parks' playwriting class when I was at NYU. You really called her out. <laughs> I did call her out. I don't know if my sample wasn't good enough. I don't know. I think I'm doing pretty well now. Maybe you want to come see my new play, Susan Laurie, and you can see... <laughs> What's up? I'm working on it now, but I plan on my new play going up in the early spring in Los Angeles. So if you're listening, come on through. I don't know. Ira can fly you out with all the money he makes as a professional writer now. Listen, I need someone to give us advice on how to make more coins. (laughs) But anyway, back to your advice. Yes, I would say definitely the internet because the internet is how I got my first job 
at this media company, um, just this very small media company named BuzzFeed. Don't know if you heard of it, but I worked there for a year just off of, you know, I think being funny on the internet because I didn't have shit that would have been like, oh, let's hire you. I don't know. I didn't really have any other media job before then. So that sort of helped me. Oh, actually, you know, I worked for Issa Rae before that. I think that helped me get the BuzzFeed job. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, I got the Issa Rae job because I was funny on the internet. So I went to that. And then this little company, BuzzFeed.com, .tumblr. You know if you heard of it. <laughs> then I kept being able to you know, push myself into other arenas. And that got me to MTV News. And it doesn't stop. You know, you have to still promote yourself. You have to still let people see who you are because that's how you get that next job or that's how you get inspiration for writing whatever. Did that help? What did I say? You, I, I thought you advice. had really good advice, Ira. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. good. Basically... Congrats. Don't feel intimidated because a lot of these people who might seem like they have the best pedigrees and all that, they don't know what they're doing. None of us know what we're doing. So you just have to dive in. And if your visual art is whack, well, Drake makes millions off of that. So <laughs> You don't bon even voyage. have to be good. <laughs> If you would like to get feedback from Doreen or I, you can leave us a voicemail message at 424-354-9335. Once again, that number is 424-354-9335. Leave a message. Ira, my love, it was so amazing to talk to you this week, one of the last weeks we have before the world ends, when the election happens in November. Thank you. Yes. So many disasters going on. Trump, you and I not being on the Route 100. Not that I'm mad about it. We're not on the Route 100? Nah, I don't even know what the Route is anyway. Is that a tree? <laughs> it's not a tree. Stop it. How are you going to get on the Route 100 if you're calling it a damn tree? <laughs> they don't want us to be on the Route 100, Dorian. <laughs> You need to leave your agendas at home. Next week, no agendas from Ira, okay? Leave your old NYU professor B. <laughs> I'll talk to you later, Doreen. Bye. And I'll talk to you later, too, Susan Laurie Parks. <laughs> Hey, this is Doreen St. Felix, co-host of Speed Dial with Ira Madison III, letting you know that you can now subscribe to each of your favorite MTV podcasts individually at iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are given away for free. So search for Speed Dial or any of your other favorites and hit subscribe. Thanks. This episode of Speed Dial was produced by Kasia Mihailovic, Michael Catano, and Mukta Mohan for the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV Podcasts. Subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes.